not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to, to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us. And it's absolutely true. Let's pray. Well, Father, we just read that all those who believe are justified. All those who believe in Christ are justified. I have fully delighted in and enjoyed as if we had lived the life Jesus had lived. So this morning we have to ask that you would help us understand what this doctrine is, what it means for us. That you would send the Spirit to open our eyes to see not only the depths of our sin, to see ourselves as we really are, but to see our desperate need of this justification. That there is no other way to, to be free, to have peace, to be at peace with you. So help us now as we study, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this word, justification by faith alone, I don't know if it gets you excited or not. I don't know what your theological understandings really are. I mean, that's part of, part of the joys of just starting out. But Paul's here showing us that this term is the heart of the gospel. I mean, it's not the whole message, but this whole idea of justification is the foundation of, of the Christian life. And Martin Luther has this great phrase, and he says, for most of us, for Christians, this whole idea of being justified by faith alone and not by works of the law, we look at that like cows stare at a new gate. You know what cows do when they see a new gate, right? They just look at it and chew. Okay, now what? <laughs> Something's changed, but I don't know what to do now. And that's, that's really what it boils down to. Is it's, These are foreign terms. These are, this is foreign language. This, even this passage, I mean, as I read it, I know it, some of it's hard to understand. Uh, justification, righteousness, the law is dead. What do these things mean? So it's really hard to know what to do if you don't know understand what the words mean, and it's really hard to then tell other people why this is good news if we don't understand why it's good news ourselves. And so what I want to do this morning is to, we're going to do some vocabulary lessons right, to understand what is righteousness, what is justification, then how, what in the world is Paul saying, and then how do we apply that to ourselves? Because I know if you go out... And, if you just Google justification or justified, you're not going to find a whole lot. You're going to find a Justin Timberlake album. <laughs> it's mostly about ladies. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Um, it's a TV show about 
a US Marshal who has to justify why he's always shooting the bad guys. This is a foreign term. We just don't use this language very often, much less um, here in the church, because it's old, because it's ancient. And so we need it. But the, the way I want to start here is to convince you that these terms, though they're foreign, is actually part of our everyday life. We just use different words for them. All right, so we might not say, just to, I need to be justified. But we do say, I need to be accepted. I want to be liked. I want somebody to accept me. I mean, maybe it's in the job setting of, I want them to accept my resume. I want, I want justification here. Um, or we might not use the words righteousness, but we do say, I want to be good enough. I want to be strong enough. I want to be smart enough. Um, I, want to be no- I want to be known as righteous, however we understand that to be. Justification, righteousness, it really is a part of our everyday life. We just use other words for it. And so, again, I just want to come back and say this this is really important. Because Paul says, and and is pointing out here, that Christianity stands or falls with our understanding of this this doctrine. If you're either justified by faith or by works, and if you get it wrong, your whole Christian life is going to be off. It's, it's not going to be Christian. And so Calvin, for example, said that justification by faith is the main hinge on which Christian doctrine turns. All he's saying is that it's the very foundation for Christian piety, for why you do what you do as a Christian, for why you should ever obey God. It's the foundation. And if you get that wrong, then you're going to go left or right and, and it's going to be to your, your destruction. Or another more modern theologian, Richard Lovelace, he points out this. If we don't understand these things, most Christians don't understand these things, the reason we don't change is because we don't understand the doctrine of justification. We might understand it in our heads, but functionally the way we live our lives is by basing our whole relationship with God on our sanctification trying to be justified, trying to be accepted. Meaning, all he's saying is that Christians really do struggle with this. Um, To understand that we really are justified, that it really is finished, and that you're either going to live your life trying to earn God's love, or you're going to live your life knowing you already have it. That's what it means to be justified. To be accepted. And that if you're theological line is off, so to speak. We can use a, a construction metaphor. If your plumb line is off at all, right, build a foundation that's just a little bit off, and you're going to end up with the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Right? It's, it's eventually going to come crumbling down. That's the whole point. Justification by faith is something we need in a world where we're always constantly trying to be justified by everything else. So let's, let's do this. Let's look at righteousness first. We'll look at justification and then try and make sense of this passage. If you look at verse 21, it's, Paul says, If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no reason. Right, so this is a big deal. This is the whole reason Christ died, for righteousness' sake. 
to, to give us a righteousness, but also because of our, our lack of righteousness. So this whole, this word is, is key. It's the very core of the gospel. It's why it's good news. And as I said before, even if, if you don't understand that word, which I'm sure it, it is, it's a confusing word because it's not what we normally use. Everyone here is living for righteousness, myself included. And we deeply believe that this righteousness is something we have to get ourselves. And I can prove it to you. I mean, story from the past and present. Um, when I was in high school, the worst class, the class I feared the most was public speaking, which is ironic <laughs> now. But I remember one of the most painful experiences was giving a speech that was recorded and being forced to then watch it with your whole class to then be told what you did wrong. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, as like any teenager, I was just embarrassed by the fact that people were looking at me. Um, but I remember vividly everyone laughing because I gave the speech kind of like this. Like I was giving the speech but also trying to run away at the same time. And so the teacher was saying, it just looked like you're about to fall over at any time. So we were just in suspense. Well, I went into that terrified because I knew I had no public speaking righteousness. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted the acceptance that righteousness brings. The whole reason I was afraid is because I knew that I didn't have righteousness. If that's foreign to you, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll break this down a little bit more. Right? Righteousness is the reason you work so hard, trying to prove yourself to be somebody to be accepted. It's the reason we don't like ourselves. It's the, it's the reason we look in the mirror and go, Ugh, I can't believe I did that again. I know I'm not righteous. I'm not good enough. Parents, I mean, we live for righteousness. I mean, it's one of the most embarrassing things is when your kids have a meltdown in public and you wonder how many people are thinking you're a terrible parent in the moment. That's living for righteousness. You'll find it in sports. Right? We Eagles fans think Cowboy fans are unrighteous. <laughs> They've made a wrong choice. But really, even just how guys relate to each other in sports, right? You get a conversation about the good old glory days of, of what you were able to do. And it starts out with, you know, my best basketball game was 40 points. Inevitably, somebody will have to tell you that they scored more points. It's a competition over righteousness. You can apply that to any sport, you know, of I was somebody because I did this. And that if I have a righteousness that comes from success in sports, then, then people will like me, then people will respect me. Now, this is a political season. There, you have four main candidates, Trump, Clinton, Sanders, and Cruz, are all fighting for righteousness. To, to be seen as righteous, to get our vote. They might not be actually righteous. They want to say, say, we are the people that you want to accept, that you want to be our next president. So they're going to give you all the reasons for it, all their justifications. See, it really is everywhere you look, underneath every aspect of your life, why you do what you do. It's a work, it's a working for, it's a looking for, it's a searching for righteousness. Now, as we look at the scriptures here, we're being shown that righteousness is a relational word. 
It's about being accepted, acceptable to, to other people, and especially in the context of Galatians, and being accepted by God. The whole reason you accept or reject anyway is because of your expectation of what their righteousness should be. They either measure up or they don't. Does that make sense? Now, I know from reading the Psalms, and if you've been around the Bible and you think of righteousness, you automatically think good, and unrighteousness is bad. It's a distinction between the good and evil. Those who God has accepted are righteous, those who He's rejected are unrighteous. And a lot of that is because of their moral behavior. Those who are good, those who are seeking God, they're the righteous. Those who are murderers, thieves, I mean, go through all the Ten Commandments. Those who break the laws, those are the unrighteous. But you've got to see that this is, righteousness is a relational thing. It's about being accepted or rejected by God. It's, a righteous person in the Bible is only righteous um, whether they are, based on whether they are accepted by God. Does that make sense? God's the one who determines whether you're in or not. A person is wicked because he's set a standard that they have missed and therefore, they are not righteous and not in. It's relational. And so now, as you look at Galatians, as you get this picture filled in a little bit, that righteousness is something that we want, that we are trying to earn through our deeds, good or bad. You're getting, seeing what Paul's getting at here. Paul says is righteousness everywhere except in the gospel is something that is earned. Something that we work for. Does that make sense? That we're constantly working to be accepted. We're constantly working to get a resume. We're constantly trying to get God to accept us based on what we do. And the only way you ever will get a righteousness that is good enough that God will accept is one that is given to you. But everything else will be based on law or performance. Now, that was a really big shotgun blast overview of what righteousness is. Let me ask you this. Why are you so obsessed with it? Why do you spend every waking moment wondering what other people think? Or what you think of you? With their own acceptability... Because it really is the story of the human race. Of all the things that we have done to one another, trying to prove ourselves to be righteous. Trying to prove that we are okay. And you've got to go back to Genesis. So we're going to do a biblical overview of righteousness. You go back to Adam and Eve. If you believe it or not, there was actually a moment in human history when two people were not even bothered with this question, am I okay? It wasn't even an issue. They wouldn't even ask, does God like me or not? They, were just, they just knew. They were righteous. They had this inherent righteousness by virtue of being created in the image of God. Sin had not yet entered into the world. They already knew that they were okay. It wasn't, there was no existential crisis, so to speak. Right? They, just, they just lived their lives, much like our children do. I mean, just starting out, they, just, they, were, they were happy not as concerned by what other people think. They were righteous. 
They were naked and unashamed, it says, and God walked with them. The world was how it should be. And yet we're told when they sinned, when they broke that one command, which would have been great if there was still only one command, right, to not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is all there, so that God would know that they loved him for him. But immediately after that happened, when they broke the law, they were immediately ashamed and aware of their nakedness. They became aware of their lack of righteousness, and that's been everyone's story since. They immediately said, oh, there's something wrong with me, and they ran and hid. They were aware that they were naked. It's really hard to understand what that must have been like. But you remember what they did? They made fig leaves to cover their nakedness. They had to do something to feel like they were okay because they knew they were exposed. They knew that God had seen what they were done, had done, that there were no secrets, and it was terrifying. Well, you know what it's like. You ever get caught doing something you know you shouldn't? <laughs> that feeling in the pit of your stomach, the sickness, the anxiety, that's what they're doing. That's what they're feeling. That's what gets them to sew these clothes for themselves. So I say, welcome to the world in which we live. Always working for righteousness because we know we don't have it. Grasping for fig leaves. The fig leaves of performance, success, I mean, whatever it might be, that, that, that's the search for righteousness. And so that's the problem. You're seeing attention here, right? It's everybody's working for righteousness. Everyone knows they don't have it. How do you ever get to the point where you feel like you're okay? In God's eyes, the only eyes that matter. And there's two ways uh, that, that our text shows us then, we're going to get back into Galatians, that righteousness cannot come from what you do. You can try, but it's going to be fleeting that feeling of being okay. There are two ways that our text shows us that righteousness can't come through the law through anything we do. One, you're not going to get it from religion. It's another fig leaf. Because one of the ways that, I mean, we're, we as a church, we have to confess we are guilty of that we try and prove ourselves to be okay to get a sense of righteousness is just by doing the right thing. We're at church on Sunday. We, we pray. We give to the poor. We're generally more compassionate more generous, more giving. Um, at least that's what we like to think of ourselves as. <laughs> um, we're Reformed here in this church. We're Presbyterian. Not like those other Christians who sing and dance in the aisles. <laughs> we hold still. Right. If you look at nine, verse 19, Paul says, through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. And he says that my religion is actually... I was not living for God through the law, through my law-keeping, through the things I did. That's amazing. Confession for somebody whose whole life was law-keeping. He says, through the law, I died to the law in order that I might live to God. And the implication is that before he met Christ, he wasn't living for God. He was living for himself. He was living to get his own sense of rightness and self-worth and what we're all working for, to be okay. In all of his zeal, he was working hard, and it wasn't for God. 
And so Paul probably would have agreed with Jesus' parable in Luke 18, where the Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I tithe everything, and just pours out his whole resume. And we might as well add, you know, I wasn't a Democrat, and I wasn't a homosexual. I mean, these are the, the things that come out in the church. That, that's religion. And it's a funny thing. If you try and get your self-worth from the law, from what you do, if you try and get righteousness, it's all going to be great until you meet somebody who's more righteous than you are. <laughs> it's going to crush you. You're going to want to hide. You're going to reenact Genesis 3 over and over again and either lash out in fear or anger. And so then when the perfect God comes along and says, be righteous as I am righteous, be perfect as I am perfect, always forgive, don't have sex outside of marriage, and if you actually have a lustful thought for, for somebody that you're already guilty of breaking that law because the sin's in, internal, not external, or as well as external. You shouldn't even be angry because anger is the seed of mur murder. You're just as guilty. Righteousness cannot come through the law. And Paul says, I figured that out the hard way. I had to see myself as being unable to do that. To get a record that will get God to accept you will not come through just coming here every week. That's not why God accepts anybody. It's only through Christ. That's one way. The other way we, other people try and get righteousness is through rejecting religion and living for what makes them happy. They make their own law. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. They say, forget that whole neurotic need for trying to impress God. I know I can't live up to that standard, so I'm going to make my own. And then they're left with the same lack of righteousness that we are. It's not going to make you feel okay. Ask Madonna. She wrote, she confessed in the Vanity Fair magazine that I have an iron will, and here's why she does what she does. She says, I'm always struggling with fear. I push past one spell of it, and I discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And then I have to find myself, find a way to get myself out of that. And again and again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. That's what's always pushing me. It's always pushing me because even though I become somebody, I still have to prove to myself over and over and again that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and I don't think it ever will. Righteousness cannot come through any law record that will make us acceptable to God to be able to then interact freely with other people. That's what makes Romans 3 so crushing. It's because we know that. That whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth might be stopped and the whole world might be held accountable to God. And that is the one thing we do not want to happen. to be seen, to be known as we are, guilty. And this is where justification comes in. Thank God. <laughs> Paul says, 
Paul says nobody can be justified by the law. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. What is justification? Could you define it? All right, it is a legal term. It's connected to the law courts. You could say it's the opposite of condemnation. When the, the, the gavel in a law court comes down, it says you are guilty. That's the opposite of justification. When the gavel comes down and, and hits the, the, the podium there and says not guilty, the person then is justified in relationship to the law. They're, they're innocent. They're righteous according to the law, according to that specific case. And so if you want to understand what justification is, it's a legal declaration that you are innocent, not guilty. More than that, righteous. It's a declaration, a proclamation that you are acceptable because of the content of the righteousness that God has given you by faith. So justification by faith in Christ alone is the teaching that God gives you a righteousness that cannot be earned by you, that it was earned by Christ. And it's given to you so that you are declared righteous, that you are declared to have done everything that Christ has done, perfect, accepted, beautiful. Saying that God's view of you changes. Yes, you are a sinner, the reality. You are imperfect like me, like, a, like every human being. But God's view of you in Christ is glorious because you have a righteousness that comes apart from the law. I mean, that's the moment we're, we're all living for. When the gavel comes down and we're fine, we're okay. You don't have to hide anymore. You're righteous. I'm justified. I'm in. There's no reason to, to run away. You can run up into God's lap and you know he'll embrace you without any fear because you are justified. So what Paul's saying here is absolutely astounding because we all know deep down, that's why we're so afraid of our inferiority and our failures of being seen. We all know that judgment day is coming. And Paul is saying, this is what justification is. It's that end time event. The the last day where all of your deeds, all of your thoughts, all of your actions will be, you'll stand in God's presence I'll say, what, what did you do with what I gave you? And he's going to declare you guilty or not guilty. And Paul's saying that event has already happened for you in space and time in Christ. Judgment day has happened. And instead of you being found guilty as you deserve, Christ was found guilty. And you were found innocent. So that's what justification is. It's, it's the end time declaration right here, right now, that you are not guilty, that you have a righteousness that you can never earn. You don't have to wait to the end to know whether God's going to accept you. You can know right now if you put your faith in Christ. It's completely set you free. Paul says, I know I'm justified by faith in Christ. I am declared righteous even though I know I'm a sinner. Because even if I show myself to be a sinner, he says in 17 to 21, it does not change the fact that I am justified by faith in Christ. 
who, gave, who loved me and gave himself for me. So let me ask you again. Can you define justification? Here's the, the textbook answer. <laughs> justification is this act of God's free grace where he pardons everything you've ever done and accepts you as righteous in his sight for Christ's sake. Only because Christ's righteousness is given to you and received by faith alone. I love the Heidelberg Catechism as well. It's another way to put it. How, is, how are you righteous in God's sight? Only by true faith in Christ. Even though my conscience tells me that I have broken every single one of God's commandments. I've never kept any of them. And even though I'm still inclined to any and all evil. There's nothing I can't do. Nevertheless, without anything I have done, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God credits to me and gives to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I'd never sinned. As if I'd never been a sinner. As if I had been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. And that is a new way of looking at yourself. <laughs> Because it's a new way of God looking at you. When he looks at you, he sees his son. You're justified. You don't have to go out and say like Harold Abrams from Chariots of Fire. I have ten lonely seconds on the, on the track to justify my existence. You don't have to prove to anyone that you are somebody. God already proved to you and his son that you are somebody. Somebody that he wanted to die for. So get rid of the fig leaves. What are you hiding for? What are you hiding from? Justification by faith, it demands that we come out into the open. It says it's okay. God accepts you despite what you have done because he declared you righteous. You know, the way that it's described in Romans chapter 4, 25, which is Romans 3 and 4, it gives an accounting term. It is an accounting term, that you are uh, credited Christ's righteousness. And so if you think of, of sin as a debt to be paid, saying you owed God because you've offended him. Right? So you are in debt. When Christ declares you righteous, he doesn't just bring you back to zero, which would be good news in and of itself. Right? It's, it's good news when you don't have to pay your student loans anymore. No, he, he gives you Christ's righteousness. He deposits into your bank account everything Christ had ever done. And that's yours, never to be taken away. So, so with those two things in mind, you can understand what Paul's saying here. To be righteous, to be accepted by God, to be justified, to be declared righteous by faith, Paul's making a really tight, simple argument. He's just saying the law is dead. It no longer has any say over you to get into God's presence. It's dead. It no longer tells me how to live. It died with Christ. So, Peter, why would you ever want to go back to that? Why would you ever want to go back to 
get back on the treadmill of trying to feel like you're good enough. And Paul says, if I were to go back and set up the law again as a rule for my life, all I'm going to prove to anyone is that I'm, I'm messed up. Because st- I'm still going to, I'm not going to measure up. The law killed me. I was told, don't covet. I thought it was fine until I read, do not covet. Because I could do all the external things. And then I realized I had to control the desires of my heart. And I couldn't do it. I died through the law. And then when I saw Christ crucified, I realized I was crucified with him. Jesus didn't die alone. He bore your, bore your sins. <coughs> Jesus kept all aspects of the law so that when he died, you're transferred into the hands of a much better Lord and Master, Christ himself. So just bask in this with me. There's some places in the Old Testament that says, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord, who delights in it day and night. That's where real happiness is found, is being obedient to God. Is there anyone here that you know of can say that you wake up and say, Oh, thank God, I get to, get to submit to you today, Lord. Jesus is the only one who ever delighted in the law, who saw it as a delight. Why? Because he loved his father more than anything else. He loved the Lord. Or Psalm 40 says, I delight to do your will, O Lord. Your law is in my heart. It's all looking forward to Jesus, the one who did that. But if you are by faith in Christ, God looks at you as if you love to do the right thing. So one theologian said, such are we in the sight of God the Father, as is the very Son of God himself. And it's such a wonder that, his, that my breaches of the law, my failure to obey are Jesus's, and his obedience becomes mine. I mean, do you see why we don't believe this? The whole reason we try so hard to achieve a righteousness on our own because we are so afraid that God will never accept us because we know the truth about ourselves. And the gospel is so good, we can't believe he's that good, and so we still continue to hide. See, God wouldn't want to spend eternity with me. Doesn't he know what I'm like? (laughs) Or or we, we go back to the law and confuse our experience with the law as an experience with God himself. And I don't measure up, therefore he won't accept me. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, put this in a really clear way. He tells a story about this man named Faithful that went into a town where he was tempted. A man named Adam offered him all kinds of, um, he offered him all kinds of opportunities to break commandments. All kinds of pleasures, immorality, adultery. And Faithful fought the temptation, saw what it was, and he left. So he did the right thing. And Faithful tells the story how he's walking home, and out of nowhere, this man rushed upon him and just beat him viciously and left him for dead. And he looked up at him and said, why are you doing this? What have I done to you? And he says, well, because of what you wanted back in town. 
you wanted to sin. And then he proceeded again to beat him while he was down. And Faithful cried out to this man, have mercy. Will you not have mercy? And the man looked at Faithful and said, I do not know how to have mercy. And he beat him down again, left him for dead. You know who that man was? Moses, the law. Spares no one and does not know how to show mercy to those who break the law. It's a dramatic picture. But what it's saying is we so often confuse our experience of guilt and shame from looking at the law. We realize, forget that we're looking at the wrong person. Not at Christ. So Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, which means not righteous, is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What are you look, looking for for righteousness? You look into the law? It can't show you mercy. It can just show you who you are. Or you look into Christ. He says, come to me, all who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. <coughs> look. On the cross, we died to the law died to that way of living. That old abusive spouse has died. It has no power over us. And so it means for us as Christians, we are called to take every problem, every hurt, every sorrow, every heartache, every failure, every depression, everything that you are going through, and to do that knowing you are justified. To go through that knowing you are justified. Right. So conclusion... Righteousness is a standard that we have all failed to meet up to, that God has given to us in Christ. Justification is this truth that you have been accepted as perfect, even though you are not. I'll just leave you with a graphic uh, picture and story of what this looks like for us. It was... Um, Robert Downey Jr., a couple years ago, he's, he's the actor who plays Iron Man. I don't know if you know his story. He knows what it's like to fail. He was an alcoholic, a drug addict. At one point, he, wasn't, he just dropped out of movies. He wasn't allowed in, and where he landed was in the house of Mel Gibson, which is interesting. And what Mel Gibson told him, and Mel Gibson was a, a Catholic or grew up Catholic, um, he said, Mel, uh, Robert, I need you to accept responsibility for what you've done. You need to embrace what is ugly about yourself, to embrace the cactus, so to speak. And he, he put food on the table for Robert. He gave him a job. He actually gave Robert Downey Jr. a role in a movie that, that was meant for Mel Gibson. And he said, the only thing I ask for you to do is to pay it forward. Some, someday help the next guy in some small way. <laughs> Mel Gibson had no idea when he told Robert Downey Jr. that Mel was going to be the guy who needed help. Because you probably remember, he got caught on video saying all kinds of horrible things while drunk about the Jews. And you don't see Mel Gibson in movies anymore. He was an outcast. And so Robert Downey Jr. is telling this story at an award ceremony that he has earned. 
Robert Downey Jr. earned it. And he said, I am asking my friend, Mel Gibson, to present this award to me. And here's why. She says, join me in forgiving my friend, Mel Gibson, his transgressions. Offer him the same clean slate and allow him to continue his contributions to our collective art without shame. He's hugged the cactus long enough. And as they hugged, as they embraced, everyone cheered. And the whole place just erupted into applause. Mel Gibson was brought back in through the righteousness of Robert Downey Jr., The gospel is so much better than that. Because right? it says, we have the one that we have offended and killed standing in heaven, saying, God, forgive them, their transgressions. Let them have my clean slate. Bring them home so that we might cheer for them. There will be so much more. To, for every sinner who repents, there is a great rejoicing in heaven. So let's do that this morning and trust in the righteousness of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this astounding gift. You give us a... You treat us as if we are perfect, and we know we are not. I pray that you would get us and teach us to look to Christ, that for every look at our sin, we take ten looks at the cross, so that we would believe more strongly that we really do live our lives as those who are justified, it is finished. If there are those who do not know you here, I pray that you would show them the beauty of what it means to be justified, to be embraced despite the way we are. And for those of us who have been believers, who have uh, followed you for a long time, renew our awe, our delight in being delighted in that we would learn to take all of our lives, all of our problems to you knowing we are accepted. So by your spirit, give us this confidence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.